0: If you want to take your Bible and go to the book of Colossians, we're going to be starting a series through the book of Colossians together as a church, and so we're going to start in verse 1 this week. I'm going to read Colossians chapter 1, verse 1, down through verse 8, and here's what Paul says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, Father God, we come to you and we are thankful for who you are as God. We praise you that you have worked in so many of our lives to make the gospel known to us. And I thank you for Shawnee Baptist Church and the brothers and sisters here that have committed themselves to one another in the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And so we, we rejoice in what you're doing in our church, among our body. Father, I pray for uh, my brothers and sisters here in this church. I pray as Paul prayed for the church at Colossae. I, I ask, Father, that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Show us what it means to walk worthy, in the manner of you, fully pleasing to you, that we would bear fruit in every work, that we would increase in the knowledge of God. Strengthen us, Father, with all of your power according to your glorious might. We ask that you would do these things in our lives and in our hearts here at Shawnee. Do this, Father, for the churches in South Jersey, right in our backyard. As the word goes forth, would you continue to minister to your people, we ask and pray. Father, as we think Beyond our local community, we look at our world and we pray specifically, Father, for our country, what is taking place in Minneapolis, as as even uh, places in our country are responding to the events of what took place this week in Minneapolis. And Father, our hearts break. We lament, we mourn the evidence of suffering and brokenness uh, that is taking place in our world. We think of the hearts and lives that have been hurt torn apart. Um, We think of the bitterness, the hatred, the rage, the the anger, the sorrow. Uh, And Father, we we just acknowledge that we as a broken people need your help. We need your intervention. We long for the day that your kingdom would come here on earth just as it is in heaven. Father, I do pray for the gospel preaching churches in Minneapolis, Lord, as their Their communities are hurting, grieving. Uh, Would your gospel go forth through our brothers and sisters there in that city and throughout the country, Father? Would the truth of the gospel reign supreme, and may you use it to impact lives and hearts, we ask and pray. Father, as we go to scripture this morning, encourage us. Give us hearts to receive your word. Open our eyes that we would behold wondrous things, out of your law. Father, incline our hearts to push our hearts towards the truth of your word. Help us to see and hear things that we wouldn't otherwise see. May your Spirit use your word in our hearts, we ask and pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well as we begin this book of Colossians, I want us to think about Paul's introduction in these first few verses as he describes and gives some he writes things that are characteristically true of the people there in Colossae. I, I don't know about you, but I enjoy reading biographies. I enjoy looking at another author's work as they've studied the life of another individual, and, and they summarize, and they point out all the highlights, and they teach me about someone that I didn't otherwise know. Uh, I uh, Not to be too morbid in this introduction, but I think one of the most special times in my life, one of the most impactful times that I was able to learn about someone uh, was uh, four or five years ago. uh, I I listened as my father gave the eulogy for my grandpa. Now, I was both close to both of these individuals. This was at his funeral service, and my dad gave the eulogy for my grandpa. Obviously, I have a close relationship with my dad, had a close relationship with my grandpa, but it was neat for me to be able to listen to who my dad understood his grandpa to be and to characterize and summarize the truths of his life. That was an encouraging thing for me, someone very close to both of the people that were speaking. Well, that's, that's far from the case that we get in this book. Here, Paul, it's not a eulogy, but Paul describes the church at Colossae, and yet Paul had never met the church at Colossae. He had never been there. He was a stranger trying to introduce himself, and he, he tells the church what he knows about them. He summarizes some things that were true in their lives. So if that were to happen to you, if someone who had never met you, but it only heard about you, was to describe your life, what would they say about you? Perhaps a little more closer to the analogy here, what would someone say about Shawnee Baptist Church? If someone was to summarize what is true of us as a people, what would they say? How would they describe us? During this time of quarantine in particular, what would someone say about Shawnee Baptist Church? I want us to think about these things and see what Paul had to say to the church at Colossae. And I think there will be some some important truths that that we can rejoice at things that were true at the church at Colossae. And let's pray as a people that God would make these things true of us here at Shawnee Baptist Church as well. In the first 2 verses Paul gives his introduction to the book in his introduction to the book and they're very typical of uh, an introduction by Paul. We're not going to spend a lot of time in the first 2 verses, but Paul is apparently with Timothy and he writes to the brothers and sisters who are in Christ at Colossae. There's a group of Christians who have gathered there in Colossae and Paul wants to encourage them. And he gives them his standard greeting of grace and peace from God the Father. Now Paul had never been to the church at Colossae, Colossae Colossae as a town, was about 100 miles inland from Ephesus. So Ephesus would have been on the coast, and apparently, you you even see a little bit more of this in verses 7 and 8, where Epaphras apparently ministered to the people there at Colossae. As, as, um, As we study the details and as commentators and theologians try to dig into what was taking place, we know that Paul spent three years in Ephesus, and it was likely during that time that Ephesus comes in, excuse me, that Epaphras comes into contact with Paul, converted there and sent back by Paul back to his hometown, probably, and so Epaphras probably planted the church and pastored there in Colossae, now, Colossae itself was not an up-and-coming town, it was not a booming metropolis, and it didn't have the importance that Ephesus did at the time of writing, but it was in the Lycus Valley, it was very close to two other towns that were probably bigger than, uh, than Colossae, but they, they also had churches there, Hierapolis, and also Laodicea, these, two, these three towns there in the Lycus Valley, and Paul has instructions for them. In fact, he wants this book read to one of the other towns. You will find that later in the end of the book. They were supposed to swap letters and re- read them. Here, Epaphras has probably come into contact with Paul. He's reported back things that is taking place at the church, and so Paul wants to write and encourage them, though he's never met them. Here's what he wants them to know, and he says it in verse three. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Paul has these warm instructions. He has these warm, this warm greeting. He wants the church to know that he's always praying for them. And why? he He's thankful to God for them. And I think it's interesting to the note the way that he does that. He doesn't thank the church. He doesn't try to build the church up for what is great in them. He thanks God for God's work in them. And I, th- there might be some important lessons for us even in that. When that that as we, uh, it's good for us to be a thankful people, but perhaps when we compliment others, especially brothers and sisters in Christ, we would just acknowledge that, that God is the one I'm thanking for what God has accomplished through you in my life. What a, what a neat thing. Well, what exactly is it that Paul thanks God for? When he prays for this church, there's certain things that he thinks of, that he remembers, that he knows is important. Uh, and he says this, when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, faith, love, and hope. It's a familiar triad throughout the New Testament. Faith Hope and love, although the order here is a little bit different. And, and, and Paul notes this in the church at Colossae. And he says, When we think of your faith in Christ Jesus, when we think of your love for the saints, and all of this comes from the, lo- the hope that you have in heaven, Paul rejoices. He gives thanks to God that this has happened because Paul, though he's never met them, he's heard that this is true in their life. There are people of faith, love, and hope, and that report has made its way back to Paul through the person and work of. Epaphras. Now we're going to try to dig into those three verses, but I want you to see where did it come from, and how was it that God uh, accomplished this in the church at Colossae, and why did Paul hear about it? This church, uh, because of their hope laid up for them in heaven, because of what God accomplished for the gospel, look at the look at the second half of verse 5. Of this, what he has just said. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. So, so they this church already knew about the gospel, and this is what it accomplished in their lives, which came to them, verse 6, which has come to you as indeed the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Epaphras has come back, and he's told Paul, listen, here's what God is doing in this church. This group of people, they love in the Spirit, and Paul is reminding them that all of this was accomplished in their lives through the word of truth, the gospel. All of this is accomplished in the sense that Paul reminds them, listen, the gospel that came to you there in Colossae, just as it's come to you it it's gone out through the world it, it's 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 growing. It's bearing fruit. And you see both of these ideas represented in the text, that that when the word of truth, the gospel, comes, it bears fruit in our individual lives. We grow as individual Christians in our communities here, in our local churches. The gospel, when it is spoken and planted, it bears fruit, and it grows, and it has far-reaching impact. But it doesn't just stay here. It crosses boundaries. It goes to new locations. This is encouraging to us as we stop and think about and apply it even to our own lives. Realize that the gospel in the New Testament is the same gospel that's at work in our churches here in Shimang in 2020. So so right after, in the, in the early first few decades of the church, the gospel wasn't just limited to one area. It crossed economic boundaries. It crossed geographical boundaries. It crossed ethnic boundaries. And, and um, the gospel grew. The gospel bore fruit. It, it saw results and purposes. And so for us and our ministries today in 2020, let's be mindful of the fact that the word of the gospel, the word of truth that has been given to us, is a gospel message that is for all people. It crosses boundaries. It's not just for us. In our ministries here at Shawnee Baptist Church, as we think about this, don't think of a a, a desire for Shawnee Baptist Church to grow. Our church is not what we want growing. The gospel is what we want growing. Our church is a group of people who have committed itself to the gospel. It ought to bear fruit both in our lives and in our community and throughout the world, and we want to see that gospel message spread. As we do that and as we're increasingly faithful, we will continue to see that that then that's a message that crosses economic boundaries. It crosses social boundaries. It crosses ethnic boundaries. We will reach and minister to people who may not look like us, who may be different than us, and our desire is not to build a church of just one unified look-alike people. No, our desire is to minister the gospel, whoever God has placed in our backyard, and to everyone that God has placed in our backyard, seeing that it's a message that bears fruit and it grows. So let's, let's be a prayerful people that God would accomplish those things in and through our lives and realize that that's such true for our ministries. We're not desiring to see Shawnee Baptist Church grow. We're desiring to see... Christ's universal church through the gospel grow. We, we want to see the gospel spread and bear fruit in our lives. This is what took place at Colossae. Epaphras brought it to them. He, he sent the message back to Paul, and, and Paul became encouraged at, at, what every, at what happened in and through the message of the gospel. So how did all of this happen? Here's where we want to dig into verses 4 and 5 and understand what, what did the gospel produce in their lives, and what did it look like? Look, look with me again. When Paul prays for them, he says three things that he notes. He says that they heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is a specific faith. It's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. When we hear the idea of faith, sometimes it's this vague concept of a spiritual people, or it's equated with that idea that we have Faith, because we are spiritual people or are you a person of faith? That's not the way Paul is talking about faith here. He's talking about belief in Jesus Christ, certain concrete truths that these people have possessed in who Jesus Christ is. And so we too are a people who pass on a faith as recorded for us in scriptures and that we would be a people of faith in the biblical sense in these confessed truths that we are uniting ourselves to around the person of who Jesus Christ is. But secondly, it's not just the faith that they have in Christ Jesus. Paul also notes that they have love for all the saints. Now, now this is a really neat thing. Here Paul notes that this is a church whose testimony has come back to him, though he's never met them, though he's a long distance removed from them, they have a reputation of loving their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, this is not new. That shouldn't be revolutionary for you. In fact, as a church, as we went through 1 John, in that letter, Paul makes it clear that love for the brothers and sisters is a hallmark test of what true Christianity looks like. That that it is, Jesus even says uh, that as he's giving instructions to his disciples, that the world will know who we are by our love. We realize that love is a defining characteristic of what it means to be Christians. So we've got to remember and remind ourselves what is love. Love is not a sentimental feeling. Love is not equated with like. There's a definition of love that I've given to you several times, and I want to keep using it. It's from a man named Paul Tripp, and he says this. He says, Love is a willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that doesn't demand reciprocation or that the person being loved is deserving. When you think of the New Testament concept of love that we are commanded to show to our brothers and sisters, it's this idea of a self-sacrificial love even if the ones we're loving aren't deserving, we don't demand anything in return. And too often, what we think of as love is little more than like, or it's little more than emotion. I love the way John Stott said it. He said, Christian love is not the victim of our emotions, but the servant of our will. Christian love is not the victim of our emotions, but the servant of our will of our will. How true is that? When I first met my wife almost 20 years ago, 18 some years ago, you could say I was a victim of my emotions. Love at first sight very nearly. Uh, Not not quite but close enough at least on my end. I was a victim of my emotions. I, I fell head over heels for this girl. I would be lying to you if I said throughout our relationship I have always been able to rely on my emotions to love my wife as I should. You see, there have been times where my sinful flesh gets in the way and this will come as a shocker to all, but I am also married to a woman who is a sinner, though her sins are not as extreme as mine and we can all praise God. Uh, But there have been times throughout our relationship, and you understand this, where if I'm going to love according to the covenant promises I made, then, then I have to demand that in love my will falls in subservient attitude towards my wife. Because I, in those moments when sinful flesh and conflict get in the way, I don't want to let my emotions run because uh, love is no longer there. Instead, love is demanding that, that by a choice of the will, I choose to love and serve and put my wife's best interests first. This, this is true in the church Here was a group of people at Colossae that they were known for their love for the saints, and guess what? If you are in a church and a community of believers, you are going to have to love people that you may not like, even when you don't feel like it, and this is what should be true of us, that we love even when it hurts. Now, how was something like that accomplished? Why was the Colossian believers known for their love? How could something like that be produced? Well, look at verse 5, and this is neat to see how it's played out. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You see, there's, there's a hope that is, the third thing that's noted is not just that they have faith, not just that they have love, but that they have hope. Hope is essential. There's a hope that's laid up for them in heaven. You see, we as Christians believe in heaven. We believe in the resurrection. We believe in eternal life in the presence of God. And as Paul said, if the resurrection isn't true, if this life is all there is, then we of all men are to be most pitied. But instead, Christians have the hope in heaven. Now, how does hope tie into love? One of the things that's interesting, I alluded to it earlier, when we think of faith, hope, and love, we often think of 1 Corinthians 13, 13, where it says that love is preeminent, but here in Colossians, and this isn't the only place in the New Testament where that familiar triad of faith, hope, and love this isn't the only place it comes that way. Here, hope is uh, in the final position. It's faith, love, hope, and most commentators are agreed that hope is actually causal, hope is what produces the faith and the love. Hope is the foundation and the motivation for why the love comes into play. The NIV, if you're reading from that translation, actually translates verse five, and it tries to help you understand it, and it says, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. So the idea here is this. Paul hears about the church at Colossae. They have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They have love for the saints. And both of those things come from the hope that's laid up for them in heaven. We have an assurance of hope that is for us in heaven. One of the reasons we have a difficult time understanding hope as we should is because we think of hope in the way that our culture uses the word. We think of it as a wishful possibility. I hope the weather is nice tomorrow. But that's not the way the New Testament talks about hope. According to the New Testament, hope is the confident expectation that God will fulfill his promises. In the New Testament idea of hope, this is a bedrock promise that we can take to the bank and the hope that's stored up for gospel Christians in heaven is eternal life with Jesus Christ our Lord. So let's start applying this to our lives. Do you, are you hoping in heaven? Are you hoping, is that your motivator for this life? We've just come out of the Sermon on the Mount and this idea of hoping in what is laid up for us in heaven, there's gonna be some analogous ideas or some similarities to the concept of storing up treasures in heaven. So think of this idea when I'm asking, are you hoping in heaven? I'm saying, what is our hope in heaven? To be in heaven and to have this hope in heaven is this idea of being in the presence of God. It's freedom from sin. Eternity face to face with Jesus? Does that excite you? Is that where your confidence is? I'm not talking about lesser concepts of heaven. Some Christians, when they think of heaven, the first thing they think of is being reunited with a loved one, or, or streets of gold. These things are not wrong, and the and the Bible even uses them as positive things about heaven, but that's not the essence of our hope. And so certainly not only will lesser hopes in heaven fail, but if our hopes are set on this earth, then they will fail. And too often we aren't storing up treasures in heaven, but we've got our hopes, our idea of where fulfillment is going to come, our confident expectations, what we long for, what we desire, we put here on this earth. But our hope is not found in money. It's not found in power. It's not found in prestige. It's not advancement. It's not looks. It's not health. It's not sex. It's not relationships. It's not reputation. It's not the American dreams. These hopes cannot satisfy. You see, Christians are people who have set their hopes in what is coming for them in heaven the presence of God and the freedom from sin and we long for it we wait for it let me see if I can illustrate it with something that John Piper said as he was teaching on this and it, it resonated with me so if I can paraphrase what he said he, he, he said let me let me give you some new vocabulary for what it means to hope for what's awaiting for us in heaven Here's the old vocabulary that you and I are used to. The old vocabulary, and this is good, it's this. If you want salvation, repent of your sins and place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. finished work on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. That's repentance and faith. Salvation comes through repentance and faith and that's the truth of the gospel. That's a great message. Just because it's old vocabulary, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm going to preach it by God's grace. This is something I want to proclaim until I die. That is good language. Let me give you some new vocabulary that will help you understand this as well. If you want to obtain eternal life in heaven, let go of whatever earthly hopes, that's repentance, let go of fame, power, wealth, relationships, your own individual performance. Let go of those hopes and set your hopes eternally on Jesus Christ and his gospel. That's faith. You see, we as Christians, converted individuals, are those who have repented of old, former, lesser hopes, and they've set their hopes and trusts all entirely on Jesus Christ. So so do you see this? This is the way that hope motivates people then to love the saints. If you have your hopes set on this earth, you will find it very difficult to turn the other cheek, to respond kindly when sinned against, to bite your tongue when someone is gossiping about you. Why? Because you have a reputation to protect. That's part of what you're hoping in. You have rights to defend. Your hopes are not set on heaven, but they're set on this earth. If you have your hopes, set on this earth, you will find it very difficult to generously give away your possessions to those in need, whether it be brothers and sisters in the Christian community or the community at large, because you have so set your hopes on storing up treasures here for this life. If you have your hopes set on this earth, then you will increasingly struggle in the war with fleshly desires, trying to gain the pleasures of this world, because this world is what you're hoping in, and part of that struggle with sin is having hopes set on the pleasures of this world. For me, as a pastor of Shawnee Baptist Church, for the elders of Shawnee Baptist Church, If we have our hopes set on this world, we might too quickly desire to see the growth and the spread and the fame of Shawnee Baptist Church rather than loving and desiring the growth and spread of Christ's gospel. That's what we ought to desire, to see lives transformed, not to see buildings full, not to see brands built, but just to see the gospel go forward. Oh, that we would be a people, that I would be a pastor whose hopes are set in heaven. This is what is true of us. This is what should be true of us. What a neat thing that Paul was able to say it. Uh, in summary at at the church at Colossae as he describes the character as it's been reported to them what a neat thing that this was true of their church now let's seek to apply this in a couple of ways in our lives even as we think about shawnee baptist church as we think about our individual lives here in south jersey in 2020 especially during this time of quarantine as we're in the middle of this pandemic what does it mean to both love and to have hope as we should let's think about it in particular to the crisis that we're in as a people first let me ask you this where is your hope. What are you hoping in? Our hope is in Jesus our hope is in heaven. And this is particularly encouraging even as we look around and so much of our world has changed during this time of quarantine. It's encouraging to remind ourselves that our hope is in heaven. In just a few short matter of weeks, everything that we knew and were comfortable with, it changed so fast as so much that we loved was stripped away from us. Now, we're beginning to watch and see as things begin to reopen and return, and we don't know uh, in how much our life has changed, how much of that will be temporary, how much of it will go back to normal, whatever that was. We don't know for sure, uh, but there are a couple of ways in particular that we as Christians need to watch lest we too quickly go back and fall into old habits and old patterns. You see, Here's here's particularly what I'm speaking of. As much as I love this country, as much as I love being an American and would call myself a proud American, my hope is not in America. as as much as I love some of the things that this nation affords me, my hope is not in the American dream. This concept where we have personal autonomous freedoms and we are able to pursue affluence in ways that much of the rest of the world and throughout human history simply has not understood. Part of the American dream is so enticing, it's so alluring, that it dangerously infiltrates our thinking and we have difficulty separating and even understanding when it's at work influencing our attitudes, actions, and behaviors, even knowing when it's going on if we're not careful. So we've got to tune in and remind ourselves our hope has never been in America. And whenever life returns back, our hopes must not be in the American dreams. Our hope is not in our president. Our hope is not in our governor. Our hope is not in our constitution as thankful for those things as we are. Our hope is not in our bank accounts, our hope is not in our health, though we are thankful when those things are healthy as well, and they very well may be the evidence of God's blessings in our life, though they are not a guarantee that that is the case. It's not where our hopes lie. Our hopes are squarely in heaven and in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the only hope that is going to bring satisfaction uh, on an eternal soul-satisfying sense. That's where our hope should be set. Not only where is our hope, but secondly, how are we loving others? Where is our love? Where is our willingness to sacrifice our own rights and our own preferences in order to demonstrate to our brothers and sisters around the world, and even in this local body, are we willing to sacrifice our own rights and show love to others? Are we willing to to show that love even when others may not deserve it? Okay, so again, as we think about loving others at this time of quarantine, at this time of pandemic, we don't yet know when we're going to reopen, but we think we're closer than we were a month ago. uh, As we try to think about how to reopen as a church, this is not going to be this is going to be one of those situations where in a body of believers here at Shawnee Baptist Church we have many many opinions represented when should it happen what should it look like what precautions should be in place all of that is going to be very very difficult to sort through and put together a plan and um It's not that the difficulty is in putting together a plan. The difficulty is in the fact that we've got different opinions. We're not all going to think the same way. In fact, we shouldn't all think the same way because God has wired each of us differently with different gifts, different experiences that all color the way we look at that. Unity is not going to be seen when we all agree on the best path forward. This situation for Shawnee Baptist Church and what what we are seeing as churches begin to reopen in different places in the country, this situation is going to test our ability as Christian communities to disagree well. This is going to be a challenge for us to set aside our rights or what our preferences might be and and to be willing to say, for the good of the body, I'm going to strive for unity, not because I agree, but precisely because my hopes are squarely set in heaven and I'm going to choose to love the saints that are here in this body. Unity won't be seen when we all think the same way. Unity is seen precisely when we disagree. We need to be people who maturely disagree well. This time of reopening, as I talk with other pastors, as we watch what's happening in other parts of the country that are a little bit further ahead of us, one of the things that's very interesting is is not only is there difference of opinion, which there ought to be. You would think that with different personalities and different giftings, we're going to think about this differently. So there is place for feedback. There is place for input, for different observations. But part of what's happening is people are getting angry. There's angry, mean spirit criticism on both sides of the reopening plan that churches are saying here's how we're going to reopen and on the one side people are up in arms angry and mean-spirited again there's a way for input there's a way for feedback but in mean-spirited there's a defending of rights on the one side that that there's too many restrictions in place and on the other side there's an angry mean spirited criticism that the restrictions don't go far enough for our generation in 2020 this is going to be our church moment when you think back to the churches that split over the color of carpets my generation has looked at that and we have said almost humorously said i don't understand it what could ever happen in the life of a church such that people would be willing to split and get angry and name call over the color of carpet well how sad will it be if we in this generation as churches try to reopen we begin to see churches split over whether or not they have to wear a mask over the placement of hand sanitizer locations. How sad would that be? And so we as a people what do we want to be known for? If someone were writing a biography of Shawnee Baptist Church in almost June of 2020, will they say, here's a people who have their sights so set on heaven that it causes them to willingly, self-sacrificially, even when others don't deserve it, they love the saints? will they say there's a people who fought for their own rights and preferences. They disagreed and couldn't see the good in their brothers and sisters who thought differently of the other side. Oh, let that not be true of us as a church. Let us be known as people who are so in love with Jesus. We have our hopes so squarely set on the hope that's available to us in heaven on the hope that's stored up for us as Christians in heaven that we we realize what things are eternal we realize how to uh, lovingly show Christ to those that we might differ with we show we realize the importance of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ may these things be true of us so that when we as when when we think of one another in the body of Christ, make this your prayer. Pray that God would so work in our hearts that our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is built up, that our ability to show love to the saints here in this church is increased, and that that would be fueled by an ever-growing hope of what is in store for us in heaven. What an encouraging truth that Paul starts this book saying this is who God is. Is He has been at work in your life with the gospel, such to teach you the truths of who Jesus Christ is, and that his self-sacrificial love for us in the person of Jesus Christ now becomes the model with which we love others. And one day, we will spend all of eternity face to face in the presence of God, free from sin, dwelling with him in heaven. And that's who our God is. Is. There was a group of believers in Colossi, some almost 2,000 years ago who were characterized by this, these truths. May this be true of us even as we go through the next days and weeks and months. May God grow these realities in our lives. Father, we come to you. And we pray that you would work in our hearts and lives, that we would be a people who are so built up in our faith of who Jesus Christ is, that we love the brothers and sisters here in this church and throughout the Christian community, that we seek to spread the gospel, that it would grow not just in our individual lives and in our church, but in our community. May all of this be fueled by our hope in heaven. Father, set our hearts and affections on things above and not on this earth. We ask and pray in Christ's name. Amen.